As you know, Norm and Sandy are uh, gone on vacation, and uh, Norm asked if I would fill in today. Um, certainly never been on this side of the pew other than uh, reading the psalm every third week. Um, never thought I would be. So uh, I have a lot of notes today, and I'll refer to my notes regularly uh, so that I don't forget anything. But um, it's a great pri- privilege to be up here and uh for Norm to think that I could. Uh, we'll find out if I disappoint him later, right? Uh, but we'll give it our best shot. Um, it's funny that Matt's first song this morning aligns perfectly, though he didn't know it when he picked it, um, with the message that I put together today. Uh, and his last song was my grandfather's favorite song, and uh, he was a member of uh, the Patton Methodist Church for about 40 years. Um, we lost him about six or seven years ago, but that was his favorite song, so... Um, he's looking down today. <laughs> Great. Um, so um, you'll get to know me a little bit today as I work through my message, uh, which I thought was important in case I ever get asked to do this again. Again, we'll know in about 45 minutes if I will or not, right? <laughs> um, but I, I'm in sales by trade um, in the heating and air conditioning industry, so I'm used to being on this side of a room, but I'm usually teaching people about heat pumps and, and how to properly install and maintain and service them and um, how to make business decisions around selling them and grow your business. So um, I've been doing that for about 25 years and uh, been very blessed in that industry to meet wonderful people um, across the country, actually. I worked for a large manufacturer and uh, got to travel all over the place and, and meet great people. So. Um, really what I wanted to use as a message today is how God kind of puts us where we need to be, when we need to be there, and that all good things work together. Um, it's it's uh, something that sometimes we don't stop and actually think about and, and actually recognize and see him working in our daily lives. Um, so that's really where I wanted to spend my time today. Um, you know, so I was praying on this, some, a phrase kept coming to mind, consistent in Christ, and it, and it popped up in some of my research and reading as well. And um, again, the message will kind of center around that. Are, are we consistent? Do we consistently see his works in our lives? Um, do we work to his will or do we work to our own? Um, it's one of the hardest things to do, um, remaining consistent, right? It's, it's, uh, we have seasons in life, things when we're, times when we're really focused on certain things, things that we must do, uh, whether it be our job or raising our children or uh, maintaining our home or, or any number of things, right? And that can pull us away from the other things that we need to remain consistent in. And as Andrew mentioned, you know, there's a lot going on in the world today, and we'll, we'll touch on some of those things. But they're all distractions, right? They distract us from what God really wants from us. And sometimes we do have to look back and reflect and see all the good works that he has done through us, for us, and will do in the future. Uh, And not let those things that are going on in the world today depress us where we cannot do the job that we were put here to do. So that's that's really what was on my heart. Um, You know, we have these 24-hour news cycles that are, are kids are subjected to, they have phones in their pockets that allow all of the evil in the world to come directly to us now, right? It can be filtered right into our eyes. Uh, 
that message is always there, and it, it creates anxiety. Uh, if you know young people today, you know they the biggest struggle, the biggest thing that's being medicated for is anxiety. Where does that come from? You know, that's that's not in here, right? That's coming from outside. And that's something that we all need to address. It's something that we all need to be conscious of and work on. Um, because anxiety, again, is a distraction. It will distract us from acting on the things that God wants us to act upon. Um, so, it's again, it's something that I think we all need to be cognizant of. The world has changed a lot, and it, it changes at a much more rapid pace than it has ever changed at. Right? We, My wife and I talk all the time. We grew up very similarly to our parents and to their parents. You know, the world changed very slowly, and you learned a lot from those generational changes. And then all of a sudden, technology came into our lives, and it changes daily. Uh, you can't keep up with it anymore. It's very difficult. Um, so we all need to be cognizant of that, and we need to be cognizant that our relationship with Christ is most important. It's, it's really what we were put here to do, right? to share that word, to live in his word, and, and to be those, those spokesperson for God to others that are struggling. The first passage that really came to me, uh, again, doing some research for today, was 1 John 2, 15 through 17. It reads, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Few problems have been more troublesome for believers down through the centuries than worldliness. In an effort to be relevant and reach our culture, there is the very real danger that we will become just like the culture and lose our distinctiveness. The Apostle Paul warned of the danger in Romans 12, verse 2, when he wrote, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To paraphrase it, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold but let God remold your lives from within. I've become a victim of this, just like many of you. The world demands much of us today. We're expected to work long hours, to produce at high levels, to keep up with our peers, to own a house, to drive a nice car, to be active in our community, stay connected with our friends and family, be engaged in society and social issues that affect our daily lives. It's a lot of pressure. It's where a lot of the anxiety we spoke of comes from. And it all distracts us and it pulls us away from our relationship with God. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 states, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Looking back in preparation for today, I tried to pinpoint when I first came to know God. And the story I shared at my grandmother's funeral was what came to mind. And I'll tell you the story briefly. I was around 
eight or nine years old, and uh, my mother's parents lived in New Hampshire at that time until they retired and moved back to Maine. And they had came, came up for a week. They rented a camp and uh, had all the grandkids there with them, and many of us would spend the night in the loft. And uh, I'm a night owl. I always have been. I, I stay up late, and uh, that's just the way I'm wired. Uh, my grandmother was wired the same way. So uh, there was one night where she was sitting by the fire reading her Bible, which she did every night. And I came down from the loft and sat with her, and, and she shared a story. And I've yet to find the story in the Bible. I think she was trying to mold me, um, but she did well. Uh, she told me a little story that um, basically God comes to all of us at some point in our life to, to basically test us. And I think the moral of that story was to treat everyone you meet with kindness as if they are the Lord himself. So she was doing right, um, but, I, but I had to think more about that and, and how it's actually worked in my life, right? She, she brought me to the knowledge of God at a young age, but I had to look back and see how he actually worked at different times in my life. Um, so I remember, fast forward about 10 years, I'm, I'm working at my first job. And uh, it, was, it was a blizzard. It was just one of those snowy days where the snow was piling up outside in the parking lot and no customers coming in. The phone wasn't ringing. It was a pretty slow day. So everyone had kind of gathered around the front counter uh, looking out the window and telling stories and just reminiscing. And all of a sudden this man walks by and he's, he's dragging a cart. And, and he's got what had to be every worldly possession that he owned in this little cart. And... We made some comments. We like, what is he doing out in this weather? You know, where is he possibly going? And, and clearly the man had layers upon layers upon layers of clothing. But what really stood out to me were his feet. He had a pair of shoes on his feet that were clearly too small for his feet. So he had cut the toe out of the shoe and his foot was, was well past the end of his shoe. And he probably had 10 pairs of socks on his feet to keep his feet warm. Um, but just a, just a sad sight. And so I, I asked my boss if I could leave for a few minutes to go speak with him, and he, and he let me. So I jumped in my car, and I drove up the street, caught up with the man, and I asked him where he was going, and his answer was perfect. He said, south, <laughs> somewhere warmer than here. <laughs> I, I said, can you tell me what's up with your feet? And he said, well, I wear a size 15, and they're very hard to find. So I wear what I can find, and I make them work. And so I said, would you mind if I go and try to find you a pair of shoes? Just so happened I worked in Bangor, and, and right next door to where I worked was a Saucony shoe store. Saucony, Saucony. Um, so I turned around, and I went in, and I said, do you by any chance have anything in a size 15? And the girl's eyes got big, and she said, I don't think so. I said, can you check? And so she went out back, and she was out back for a couple of minutes, and she came back with a pair of sneakers, size 15. She said, I didn't even know we had these. I dug everywhere, and we have one pair of size 15 shoes. God's blessing right there, right? Um, so I bought the shoes, and I drove back, and now the man was almost through the industrial park. And I caught up with him, and I stopped. And when I got out with the pair of shoes, he wept openly. I'm not sure this man had had a lot of people help him in his life. Um, but had my grandmother not told me that story, God wouldn't have been in the back of my mind. And that man's feet probably would have frozen. Um, so to know God is, to one, is one thing, right? But make sure that you put what you know to use. I think that's where we really 
that's what we're really put here for. Um, so that story really stood out to me. Um, it also reminded me of Romans 8.28 and why it will know this passage, because he just finished watching Manifest, which is really a, an entire television series around the passage 828. Um, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So I am only here today because I was asked to be, not because I wanted to be, um, not because I am a, a better teacher than anyone in this room. Um, Tom could teach circles around me up here. Uh, so could Matt, so could Andrew, so could Richard. Um, but again, when we're asked, do we act on what the Lord puts upon us or do we push it off? In Romans 8.31, we're told, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In Joshua 24, verse 15, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the, gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I ask you today, are you serving the Lord? I believe you are. You're here. Have you considered all the times the Lord used you for good? Did you know, or do you know looking back, that the Lord was with you? Hopefully you do. In 1 Joshua 5, verse 4, it says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The world is doing some crazy things right now. Norman's talked about them even this past Sunday with drag queens in our school and pornography on our children's phones and in their libraries. Everywhere we look, there's attacks on God directly. You know, now they're telling us that aliens are probably why we're here. The, you know, all, all distractions, right? All ways to tear down so that they can build the world the way they want it. But that's not how it works, is it? It's not. If you look at what's happening in New York, and, and maybe you haven't heard of this story, but there's a former Marine, and you're never really a former Marine, you're always a Marine, if, if, if you know anything about the Marines, Semper Fi. Uh, but this man named Daniel Penny, he acted in a situation where other passengers were put in danger on a train and ended up uh, tackling and, and basically subduing this man who, who actually perished uh, during that altercation. But now that man is on trial for his life, and he's being tried not as a defender of others, but for manslaughter. And so, if you think about it, most of, most of God's disciples, they had a hard life, did they not? He had 12 disciples. Peter was crucified upside down on a cross during Nero's prosecutions of Christians. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. 
but he wasn't nailed to it. He was actually tied to it. So it took several days for him to perish. It's said that he preached from that cross while he was tied to it. James was beheaded by King Herod I. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. Philip was hung. Nathaniel was flayed to death with knives. Matthew died a martyr in Ethiopia. Thomas was killed by a spear. James, the son of Alphaeus, was crucified and sawn into pieces. Thaddeus was martyred and died by arrow. Simon the Zealot was crucified and Judas hung himself. It's not easy to be a follower of Christ in this world. It's a test. It doesn't always end well. Yet here we are today gathered in celebration of the Lord and the Savior, unafraid of what this world would or could do to us as his return draws near. We all struggle with negative thoughts or internal conversations in our mind. There may be some trigger that causes us to think these thoughts. It may be a problem, a weakness, or a failure from our past that makes us feel guilty or ashamed. Then there's temptation thoughts that if left unchecked could lead us to do something sinful that we'll regret later. Whatever the source of nature or nature of these thoughts, they tear us down. And we would prefer not to have these things on our mind as they lead to self-condemnation and feelings of unworthiness. So how can we overcome evil in this world, evil in our own mind? We must overcome it. That's what the scripture tells us. For though we live in the world, we are not carrying on a worldly war. For the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but have divine powers to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle to the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. How can we take every thought captive to obey Christ? The first thing to understand is if you have, if you are to have victory, what is the source of these thoughts? Thoughts that are evil, tempting, or based on the past come from the flesh. They may be prompted by the devil too, but either way they are thoughts of the things of the flesh and the nature of man. We cannot grow in spirit if our mind is centered on the flesh, as the scripture tells us. In Romans 8, verse 5 through 8, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So is God here supporting us? Is he hearing our prayers? Is he helping us fight the distractions of the world? I believe he is. Last fall, I was here by myself one Sunday. My wife was home, and she was struggling with um, what initial test 
led us to believe might be a tumor on her ear. She got up that morning and she had vertigo and she was extremely dizzy. Um, and she got back into bed and we made her comfortable and I told her I would go to church and bring her back something uh, afterwards to eat and hopefully she'd feel better and hopefully the dizziness will have passed. After church, uh, I came up front and asked Norman to pray with me. And when he put his hand on my shoulder, a lightning bolt shot through my body. It's the only way I could describe it. It, it felt like somebody shot me with a taser in the back. Um, honestly, so, so much and noticeably so that I barely heard the words he was saying. <laughs> um, but it was noticeable. And as soon as I walked outside, I, I texted Mandy and I asked her how she was feeling. And she said, my dizziness just subsided. About five minutes ago, I said, about five minutes ago, she said, yeah. God at work? I think so. That tumor later turned out to be a cyst that had burst and uh, took care of itself. So I think of Matt in the back. You know, you have all prayed for Matt. And he's here and he looks healthier every week. And he still has his kidney. God at work. About a month later, we flew to California and then to Colorado and saw some of the prettiest parts of this country that I've ever seen. The Rocky Mountains, if you've never seen them, are just stunning. Um, later, through our, our vacation week, uh, Mandy started to get sick, and then on the day of our return, I got sick. And it turns out, we found out when we got home that we had contracted covid as we boarded the second leg of our flight in Chicago to come home, like I always do because I'm a nervous flyer, uh, and I fly a lot, so it's not a good thing. <laughs> um, I always say a little prayer as I walk on a plane. You know, Lord, protect the equipment, protect everyone on board. May we land safely at home and everybody return to their families. Amen. I said that prayer that day, and we got on the plane, and all we could think about was getting home and getting in our bed. We didn't feel well. And we sat on the plane for probably 10 or 15 minutes, maybe 20, and nothing was happening. We weren't moving. The doors weren't closing. And the pilot came on and he said, we've deemed this plane unsafe to fly. And we're going to have to ask everyone to deplane and we'll get you another plane. And there was a delay, which at the time is frustrating. We wanted to be home. But was my prayer not answered? <laughs> if that plane was unsafe to fly and we flew anyway, Maybe we wouldn't be here today. You know, Matt said something last year that really stuck with me as well. He said that despite our sinful nature, despite probably all those internal things that that internal voice I spoke about is always telling us, that God made us anyway, that he put us here at this time for a purpose. We may not know what that purpose is, but we have one. We are here for a reason, and we are here now for a reason. The world is changing around us, but that doesn't have to change God's word. It doesn't have to change how we represent it in the world. If the world is dark, there needs to be light brought into it.
I think that we all do struggle at times wondering why we're here and what our purpose is. But again, you are meant to be here. Back to storytelling. I was deployed to Iraq in 2006. But before that, I had done six years in the National Guard, signed up in, the high, in high school. Um, basically, the commitment was a four-year uh, term in the Army National Guard and then two years what they call inactive, meaning you can leave, but if wartime breaks out or something, they can bring you back in that two-year period, and then your contract is up, and you can stay a private citizen for the rest of your life if you choose, or you can come back during that time, and it's pretty seamless to come back in. So I had done my six years, and in that middle of that six years, 9-11 happened, and we all know that we became a nation at war. Um, we were in the Middle East fighting in Iraq, fighting in Afghanistan. And so when my uh, four-year part of the six years was up, I got out. I had uh, young children at the time, a two-year-old and a baby, and uh, I thought better me be home and serve my family. So, again, I, I got out of the military at that point and was in my two-year inactive period. In that time, uh, deployments continued to happen, and family members and friends were deployed, and there was a terrible guilt that... They had to go and have to serve, and I didn't. And so before that two years was up, I rejoined. A month later, that call came. And so I went. At that time, I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Pretty difficult. But I, I think about the time that I was there. And, you know, the first, we were a convoy security element. And so our job, we were on the border of Iraq and Kuwait. And all of the goods for all of the different bases we had in Iraq uh, would come in either by the seaport or by the airport. And they would truck it to our base, and they would spend the night, and they would link up with a security element, which was us. And we would provide three to four Humvees to travel with them to their destination and then bring them back safely without us. They would surely be attacked, uh, the goods would be stolen, people would be killed. And so we were their defenders, if you will, as they moved those goods throughout the country. So on our very first uh, night, we get a mission. We've been there two weeks acclimating to the weather. We get to our base and, and we get our first mission. I, I happen to be drawn for the very first mission. And so we're in the motor pool getting everything ready. You put your armaments on and your guns on your Humvees and, and you prepare your radios and you read your safety briefings about everything that's happened that day so that you can relay that to your men and, and try to have the safest convoy possible that night. And depending on how far you were going into Iraq, a, a convoy could last two weeks before you get back. So reading the safety briefing and looking at how bad that day had been, there was 145 IED incidents that day. And that was pretty average. We averaged about 130 a day, some days more, some days a few less, but on average about 130 IEDs a day. So your life was at risk the minute you left that base until you returned to it. And so I looked around at all these men scrambling to get all of their things ready before we left, and I, I called them into a circle, and we all put our arms around each other in a big circle, and I said a prayer. Now, at 26... I was not as close to God as I am today. But I thought, 
it was probably a good time to call on him. We needed him. And so that became a tradition from that day where we, we did that every single night for an entire year. And I'm glad to say that no one was ever killed on one of my convoys. So I know that God does work in our lives. There was a time where we were convoying through Baghdad. And I just happened to catch out of the corner of my eye something move. And it was a man popped up behind a wall with an RPG. If you know what that is, it's a rocket-propelled grenade. And just as I could get the words grenade out of my mouth to the other two in my truck, you have a gunner on top, a driver, and then I sat on the passenger side with a with a large screen where I could see all the convoys that were currently on the road, where they were, and we could send messages and we could we could let people know if there was danger in the area. We we could communicate. Before I could even get those words out of my mouth to the folks in my truck, let alone transmit a message, he he fired the rocket. I saw it coming directly at me. It hit the hood of my Humvee, and it ricocheted over the top of it, and it exploded about 20 yards behind it. Is God not at work when we ask for his help? We could all tell stories like this. We've all had God work in our life. Let's make sure we share those stories with others so that God can work in their life too. I'm sorry, I have to go back to my notes. Psalm 33, verse 5, states, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of goodness of the Lord. The Lord has been very good to us. Psalm 92, verse 2 says, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. We must see that we are where we need to be. We were born at this time in history for a reason. If you haven't figured that out yet, please, I urge you, reflect and pray on it. You are being placed where he needs you to be, and sometimes you must wait patiently until the understanding comes. Many trials will test you, but you must remain faithful. Raising children will test you. Be patient. We know that evil rules this world. God God called him the prince of this world for a reason. But we know who's really at work. In 1 John 2, John states in this letter that you may not sin but he doesn't imply that you are sinless. He makes it very clear that only one man has walked this earth who was sinless. But he states that you have the ability not to sin. But we all struggle with that. I know I've struggled with that. I was raised in a sinful home. My father was an alcoholic. And I too have battled that in my life. When I returned home from Iraq, I struggled greatly. Sometimes we see things that change us, and we battle that every day. Be peaceful to one another because you never know what someone's battling.
the important thing to remember is back to what Matt said. The Lord created you anyway. He knew you would sin. He knew you would struggle. He knew you would be imperfect. Heck, he sent his son here and we crucified him. We are a sinful being. But he forgave us. Forgiveness is so important. Not only of each other, but of ourselves. We are sinful in nature, but we also have the power of forgiveness. We can forgive each other. We can forgive those who sin against us. And we have the Lord's forgiveness. We must forgive to feel forgiveness. We must forgive ourselves. We are not expected to be perfect. He died on the cross so we could be forgiven. In Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus had one defining priority, to bring glory to God, his eternal Father. We may falsely think that this reflects God being hurt by our lack of recognizing him as if he needs us. We don't give glory. We don't give God glory. He is the source of all glory and all goodness. There is a goodness that we all long for, and it exists in God. He is the source, the center source of all that is ultimately true and good. So when we center our lives in the glory of God, we are aligning with reality, with what is. God is quite clear in making known that we were created from the beginning in God's image, that we might reflect the glory in the world. Human life was to multiply and fill the earth so that the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the sea. And God makes clear that something became corrupted at the core and what it means to be human. As many may recall in the biblical book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5 and 7, it reads, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God in knowing good and evil. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewn fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here we see how the corruption to our human nature comes. What was inserted? The belief that we could be like God. That we could become independent. And we could be the center. 
we chose to believe in our own glory and found ourselves in a state of shame, of being naked. If a misguided pride is the root, it leads to shame and a need to make something of ourselves. This continued through the story of human nature and God's work. Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, when the people come together and declare, let us make a name for ourselves. That is the need so many of us feel. We feel a need to make a name for ourselves. We were given the highest role in creation, but we rejected the role of the created. And we want to be the creator. Creating our own image is a powerful lore and never more mastered than in our age of image. Social media, Hollywood, are telling us to become the images that we create. Now we're creating artificial intelligence. How long before we serve it? The problem is not with healthy pride and aspiration or healthy self-expression, but with the underlying false role of being our own source of glory. It's been said that man is the star in our contemporary drama. God may be given a place on the stage, but only as a kind of co-star or supporting actor to serve our lead role. And because we are trying to play a role that is not our role as a human life, we will never be able to play the part, never fulfill what is required, never be at peace, always trying to cover ourselves with fig leaves to cover our nakedness. We will be anxious because we will never live within his true nature. As Jesus said in Luke 12, verses 25 and 26, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do a smaller thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? What is he saying? Well, essentially, you are trying to be what you aren't. You are still trying to be like God. We are trying to be like gods, trying to live beyond the human limitation of our finite nature. Trying to exercise control we don't have rather than trusting in God. Trying to find glory in ourselves rather than joining in the glory of God.